Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Then we're not going to offend either our American or our English listeners. No, we'll just be like 2.2. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this sounds really techy. <laughs> like we're tech entrepreneurs. We are tech entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. Um, so we are lucky enough to be recording this in a place called Second Home. Yes. Um, in Spitalfields. Is that yeah. where we are? Yes, it is. Yes. And um, that is because we have just interviewed someone here who you will find out yeah, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, will be revealed in a few weeks. Very yeah. exciting interview. There is a bit of background noise right now, but that's cool. I think that's cool. I'm cool with it. I'm cool. Got some aircon, feeling cool. Exactly. Um, we should probably start by saying thank you. Yeah, big thanks. To every single person that messaged us after last week's episode. Um, I don't think we... Well, we can't keep up with writing back to everyone currently. It's there's just been a tsunami of support, there has. which is beautiful. It is beautiful, and you know, especially like I feel very grateful. Um, like loads of people did stories about it on Instagram. Loads of people sent us emails. Loads of people sent us messages. Um, thank you for all caring about my pregnancy. I'm just going to moan about my like ankles, willy nilly. I'm not really no, going to do that. I'm not, not. going to do that. <laughs> Um, but we, you know, I will talk about it. Um, a solution that we came up with because a couple of people did message us and say, "Look, it's it's really hard for me right now," mm-hmm. and that's completely understandable. So what what we've decided is um, we're going to put in the show notes, which is like writing underneath the podcast, yeah, um, a time code of when I start talking about pregnancy and when I stop talking about pregnancy, and then you can just fast forward. Yeah, absolutely. If it's if it if you're not in the right place to listen, uh, but you'd like to listen to the rest of the podcast that's totally fine and we're going to make that as easy as possible and yeah we're not offended in any way we do understand you know the people that have messaged us telling that they can't they're not quite ready to listen totally get it I I, like I massively get it because the the years I spent looking at pregnant women being like bitch yeah exactly so yeah I get it absolutely (laughs) (laughs) thanks mate but you can't actually see it yet (laughs) um so this episode I'm talking to the lovely Yvonne John Yes. Who is really just like one of those really inspirational people that you meet. Gabs was absent from this interview. I was. Um, I was on my couch at home, not because I was lazy per se, more because I just had my egg collection the day before mm-hmm. and I was feeling a bit rough. Yes. Um, so Emma was flying solo. I was. And I, she did a great job. Um, 
so yeah I sat down with Yvonne and it was on those interviews where we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and then I turned the mic off and we talked again for another like hour (laughs) because I just found her just a great person to talk to I just Mm. really enjoyed my chat with her she um represents an organization called Gateway Women which is um uh for women who are childless by circumstance so you know basically women who don't and won't have kids um she's also appearing at fertility first later this year excellent yeah um and she has also written a book which is really cool called dreaming of a life unlived so basically check out all those things excellent um because she's well as you'll hear like it's a much longer podcast than usual Mm. because (laughs) we literally could not stop talking oh awesome I'm sorry you weren't there, mate. Yeah, I'm sorry I wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. I was Although we probably would have talked even more and then never stopped. <laughs> um, in other news, we've also been speaking to Professor Tim Child. Yes, we have. And, and by of, we, you mean you. And by we, I mean me. Yeah. And, of course, we've changed the segment slightly, so questions have been opened out slightly yeah. to not old wives tales and now just general questions for Professor Tim the wise old owl that is Professor Tim (laughs) um and this week we were talking to him about symptom spotting and um post-transfer oh wow and we also talked a little bit about what you can expect after transfer in in terms of any discomfort etc so that was a nice little chat so anyone going through FET right now Mm-hmm. Or non FDT, or yeah, or egg collection followed by tea. Because I've only ever frozen ones. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's good. Cool. And in other news, you could follow us on our Instagram at Big Fat Negative, on our Facebook Big Fat Negative, on our Twitter at Big Fat Negative, or email us Big Fat Negative Podcast at gmail.com. You could also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Please do that. Yeah, that would be really nice. Yeah, that would be so nice. All right. Cool. Enjoy the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Emma, how have you been? I'm all right, thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Any uh, elaboration Um, on that one? What have I done this week? I haven't really done much this week. Like, this is the first week, maybe the second week that I haven't had a scan. Okay. Since I found out I was pregnant. Mm. Um, so that's been weird. Not getting something shoved up my batch. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, it's been weird. So I, because of that, I did book myself an extra one. Um, How many weeks are you now? I'm eight, just over eight weeks. Okay. And um, so, yeah, I booked myself a scan and I went to book it for next weekend. Mm-hmm. And instead I booked it for this Friday. Oh. Yeah, so I um, had to make not one but two phone calls to them, begging them to change it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it's like a private company and not the NHS. They were like, yeah, of course. Of course, madam, whatever you like. Yeah, Feel exactly. free to make as many mistakes as you like <laughs> with your lovely, delicate baby brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if you can have baby brain this early, but I think it's just I'm an idiot. No. Mm. No, who knows? Yeah, but that's how I've been. Um, also, I just, for, the, for my um, renovation sisters out there, I'm mm. so proud because when I first when we first bought our house in Margate, it had two fireplaces, and actually it's got three, but we ripped two of them out because one of them was like really rusty and old and knackered, yeah, and was just would have cost so much to restore, and the other one just didn't really work. 
place yeah. that it was. I liked that one. Yeah. I didn't want you to rip that out. Yeah, I ripped it. Um, <coughs> and also, it was it was surrounded by this like massive black slate mantle that was just so ugly. I just hated it. It was just like sapped all the light out of the room. Mm. This has got nothing to do with trying for a baby, by the way. I just <laughs> feel so great about it that I have to tell the world. Anyway, today we got rid of the last one. We've sold them all and made like 300 quid out of them. Really? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I know. And I know 300 quid isn't like that much, but... Hey, it's better than nothing. Yeah. I just feel, I feel like David Dickinson. <laughs> I feel like something on Homes Under the Hammer. Hey, whenever I go into my fertility clinic, that is on. Oh my God. Well, There's a link go. back to fertility. Yeah, absolutely. Homes so Under we... the Fucking Hammer. <laughs> They're always talking about damp. Uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a problem we have in our, in our house. Um, so I just want the whole world to know that eBay does work. Two things I found out in the last couple of months. IBF does work. eBay does work. Wow. Yeah. You've got a renewed smile on that face of yours. You're just like, the world is a good place. I feel so light. <laughs> I feel so light right now because I've just got rid of those fireplaces and man, were they heavy. Oh, yeah. Congratulations, mate. And congratulations on um, being eight weeks pregnant. Thanks. I just feel like 2019 has peaked already. <laughs> I can't possibly get better than this. <laughs> Anyway, that's my week. How's yours been? Oh man, yeah, good. Um, Action packed. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have been for two more scans since we last spoke. Wow, we. Yeah, so that's three in total during my stimming. Um, the the one I went for yesterday, actually, the there was the doctor was kind of hot, and it freaked me out a bit. Oh. I was like, oh, was a hot doctor? I don't was know. Was he sh- showing? Yeah, up your... exactly. Okay, it's quite uh, it's quite funny. I was a bit like, oh, do I? Is this a good thing? Am I happy that he's good looking, or am I not? I don't know. <laughs> I told were you, were you told Mr. Gabby, lines? and he was like, "Don't tell me about this hot doctor. I don't want to know." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Gabby, not interested in the hot doctor chat. Anyway, um, so yesterday's scan, um, basically, he was like. I've got lots of follicles and we're a bit worried about OHSS. Oh, good. So that's um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was like, you're good to have your egg collection on Monday. That was that was Friday. Okay. Um, and we're Saturday today. We are Saturday today. And But he was like, I want to do a blood test to see what your um, hormone levels are like. Because if they are too high, we will change your trigger... From okay. Overtrel to Brucerolin. Okay. And that would mean that my um, estrogen levels wouldn't continue to rise at a kind of dangerous level. Okay. Um, and um, But that would also mean that I couldn't have a fresh transfer because it doesn't build up your lining in yeah. the same way that Overtrel does. Okay. So he was kind of like, we think, you know, if, if you are at risk, that's what we would like to do, but it does mean no fresh transfer. And I was like, do you know what? That's fine because... A, I don't want to get sick, and B, we were going to do e-freeze anyway, so we were kind of mentally prepared for not doing a fresh transfer. Yeah. So so that went on, I did a blood test, and um, basically sat down with the nurse, and she was like, taught me how to use the trigger injection, which I'm using this evening. Oh my God. Do we know? Well, I do, yeah, but I'll get to that. Mm -hmm. She taught me how to use both of them. For the record, bucerolin is much more complicated than Overtrial. complicated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bucerolin is my old arch nemesis, as oh, regular listeners will know. Yeah. But um, I did the Bucerolin trigger as well. Yeah, okay, right. So um, 
So I left and they were like, we'll call you later to tell you what time you need to do the trigger and therefore what time your egg collection is on Monday. Wah! And then we'll call you tomorrow to let you know about your blood test results to tell you which trigger you need to do. Okay. So I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So many things I in my head. And I had to go to work and go to a fucking workshop. And I was like, <laughs> um, And so, yeah, so basically found out the blood test is fine. Okay. So I'm doing overtrial. Fine. Tonight at 10 p.m. Okay. And um, that means that the chance of a fresh transfer is back on the table. Oh my God. Albeit kind of down to the e-freeze sorting hat. Yes. So I don't know which which, which team am I going to be in. Who knows? Which house? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're in the frozen house. <laughs> the, the fresh house. Um, so yeah, it's been really exciting. Yeah. Um, I... Yeah, the, the woman who walked me through the, the, the kind of... So yesterday I did my final um, Bemfola shot, okay. which was an emotional time because I kind of... Those guys were my favourite. Oh, were they? They don't hurt. Oh. They're really nice and easy. Yeah. I've got to do my last Firemidel, which is the one that's stopping me from ovulating. I'm doing the last one tonight. Or okay. you're maybe going to do yeah, the last one. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to do it together, aren't we? <laughs> you're going to have to, mate. <laughs> we just felt that... Um, it was nice closure for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Plus, I completely ran out of time today. Yeah. I don't have time to get back to my husband to do it for me. Well, Mr. Gabby, I'm sorry I'm taking this important job from you. Yeah. But he can, he, he's going to trigger, so. It's the last ever Firemidal. I feel like there's three of us making this baby. There really is, mate. There really is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so I was given, like, quite a good schedule from the nurse, which included instructions for my husband to have a oh to ejaculate today oh which was good i did text you about that didn't yeah I? you also <laughs> texted me to see if my husband had ejaculated today <laughs> which he was delighted about john was like don't send her that text i was like i've got to i've got to make sure it's my responsibility <laughs> well the nurse was like uh so so you don't have to do the final injection at the same time as the ejaculation <laughs> just in case you're worried that you have to like trigger and wank at the same time <laughs> It's like, thanks for clarifying that. I was really worried about that for a second. That would be Can you amazing. imagine? You should try and do that. Furiously wanking slash injecting at the same time. I think that's a bridge too far, possibly. I've, I've always thought Mr. Gabby is a multitasker. He really is. Yeah. And he, he does pride himself in, in both areas, I'd say. He thinks he's great at injecting and, and the, other, the other thing. So... Um, and the injections, to be honest, fair play to him. He has been good. Like, I don't have very many bruises. Cool. They don't hurt. Cool. He is very good. God, I was a mess after mine. Yeah, I have been really lucky. Like, I haven't really had any side effects. I'm 10 days in. You're doing well, pal. I feel fine. You've got great big ovaries. The size I've got of fists. fucking giant ovaries. I've got 40 follicles. That is a lot of follicles. But that does include, like, small ones, that are, ones. that are never going to graduate. Like, yeah. Tiny, <laughs> they're never going to get their certificate. <laughs> <laughs> tiny ones <laughs> lame ones lame yeah. follicles um, so yeah I should I don't know I feel I feel okay okay so that's kind of great but you, you, you're you getting that feeling when you walk around you're like oh I have yeah. ovaries yeah, you, yeah. You, you're you aware of it let's mm. just say that it's not too painful for me but it's kind of you're just aware that something different is happening yeah and um, you're a bit bloated a bit bloated yeah I mean as we speak my jeans are undone so yeah mm-hmm. I'm wearing a tent so <laughs> Such a nice it's tent, fine man. I can't so really nice. tell <laughs> um okay. so yeah it's all very exciting and all going full Great. steam ahead um I put on Instagram that I was doing my egg collection on Monday yeah and asked for some tips okay because I've kind of to be honest a bit freaked out about it yeah it's fine I know I watched a video 
about oh so I've watched a video of someone doing it on the screen like you could see on the screen the needle and I was like oh my god I shouldn't have watched that um but yeah I thought I'd kind of share some of the advice just for anyone do it who isn't uh, or who is about to do their egg collection as well okay. so I had lots of um rest 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 afterwards because you're gonna be sore yeah therefore make sure you've got pain meds in the house yeah um and lots of drink electrolytes Oh, what like Mountain Dew or whatever. So, um, I've got Lucasade Sport. Okay. Yeah. For all that running, you'll be doing. Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, what water. actually are electrolytes? Do we know? It's like I think it's basically sugar and salt. Okay. It's like what the dehydration sachets that you have okay. when you're ill. Um, yeah. so that's just to replace all of the salts that you need to replace, etc., and mm-hmm. sugars. Drink lots of water. Someone, a few people have said, get some prune mm. juice for the constipation. Mm. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't problem for me. I didn't expect that. So, but loads of people have said it to me. So I guess it must be a thing. Can you not just like eat roughage? <laughs> like, I mean, eat fiber. I don't know. But then I put that on Instagram as well, and someone got in touch to say, be- "Beware the prune juice because it can lead to explosions." <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" Um, other advice included uh, our friend Ali off Instagram told me to get a wax so that it was nice and smart oh, for the doctor. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Although, to be fair, they've already seen up there, haven't they? Oh, they've seen it. They've done a lot of looking And the hot there. doctor has seen it as well. <laughs> but luckily I did get a wax before Christmas, okay. so I'm kind of okay. Okay, you're all right. <laughs> um, and then someone, uh, this is a good fact. Um, so Professor Tim did someone's egg collection. Oh, yeah. And she got in touch to say that Professor Tim himself, okay. medical director at Oxford Fertility, <laughs> <laughs> told her to have a glass of wine after her egg collection. Like, not straight away, but once she feels better. Because in between that and her transfer, because he was like, look, the eggs are out of you now. Yeah. Have a glass of wine because, it, you know, when you put them back in... Can't have it. Can't have another glass of wine for a while. Oh, so just get it I down. I thought it was yeah. such solid advice from Professor Tim. That is great advice. Do you know how long they're going to um, grow your embryos for before they put it back in? I I assumed they always try for five days, do they not? Some people do three days. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if people do it straight back. But I don't know. No, they don't do that. But I know some people do three days, some people do five days, some people do six days. Okay, well, I would like them to try for five day Mm -hmm. blastocysts personally, Um, but I don't know. It hasn't been, it hasn't come up yet. Okay, discussed it. Okay, yeah. Um, Any other advice? I think yeah, just Netflix and chill. Netflix and chill, but not like that because you're not in a sexy sense. (laughs) Yeah. In a very kind of self-indulgent yeah. Literally sense. watch Netflix yeah. and be chilled. I'm like, I've got, so I've got Monday off, obviously. Yeah. I've also kind of penned Tuesday and Wednesday off. Okay. So I'm kind of weirdly just looking forward to not doing anything. Yeah, it's really, I, I've got to say, and I've said it before and I will say it again, having an anaesthetic is the best sleep you will ever have. Oh man. You yeah. have these mad dreams that are amazing and then you wake up and you don't want to wake up because it's such a good sleep. I'm just a bit scared. I don't know why. It'd be great. Yeah. You have such, and you go to sleep and there's all these people around you and you're like... Mm. Yeah. Trying to be mum told me that as well. She was yeah. like, just enjoy it. Yeah. It's so <laughs> great. It's honestly... Like, I could, I could really do with an anaesthetic right now, Yeah. Please. Oh, mate. And the poor girl in this video I watched, bloody hell, she was just sedated. So she was awake. She was watching the screen. Oh. I would not be watching that happening. It looked horrible. I think when I had my egg collection, they said I was heavily sedated, but I'm pretty sure I was out. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's Cause definitely I ha- general anaesthetic for me because yeah. I can't eat anything or drink anything yeah, before yeah, I get yeah, to the yeah. clinic. Um, it's lovely, lovely, it's dreamy, so nice lovely. times. And when you wake up, it's so awful. 
because you're just like I want to be asleep again put me back in the blackness yeah. <laughs> exactly well it's all happening on Monday so mate yeah that is so exciting it is very exciting um it's a bit weird as well though because it coincides with me changing my work situation which I have not spoken yeah. about on the podcast yet you haven't no, no you because said a bit about it on Instagram haven't you yeah, no, mm, not really. Not no. Okay. Um. So, just to update everyone, back in October, which feels like ten years ago, um, I kind of made the decision to go freelance. So I quit my job and um decided to go freelance because I was finding my work a bit stressful. Mm-hmm. And also, I had always thought that I would go freelance after having a baby. Yeah. And so, the more and more that wasn't happening. I was getting like upset about not only not having a baby, but not having this freelance dream that I had made up. Yeah. So back in October, once we signed up for IVF, I was just like, you know what? That's it. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do it and just make it work. God, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been great. So I've had three months notice period waiting to moving towards it. And oh, yeah, God. so Friday when I like got my date for egg collection, I also had my last day at my last official day at work. And now I'm freelance. That is so exciting. Yeah, it is quite exciting. I mean, you are a person whose natural habitat is a coffee shop with mm. a with a MacBook. Man, I just can't wait to be that dick. <laughs> I just can't wait to be that absolute arsehole sitting in the coffee shop all day. Oh, that would be lovely. Drinking two flat whites. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. So, um, so yeah, I'm kind of excited about that and at collection and it's just all happening at once. 2019 is the year. I hope so, mate. I hope so. So great. But, hey... It might not work first time. That's okay. Okay. You know, it's my first time. Let's yeah. see how it goes. But right. hopefully. Um, as I was about to say before we were recording, and then I had to stop myself so that we could have this discussion while we were recording, I think it's admirable the fact that you are managing to do the kind of defensive pessimism thing. Because mm. I think a lot of people going into their first round of IVF are like, it's going to work. And everybody around them is going, be positive. It's going to work. Yeah. I mean, for some people, being positive works, and that's that's how they are. Um, for me, being a little bit pessimistic helped to kind of protect my heart. I think so. But I also think, well, the difference is that I know a lot, you yeah, know, through yeah. doing this podcast and meeting all of the brilliant women that we've met and men, I've heard a lot of stories and I know that it doesn't always work. Yeah. I know all too well that it doesn't always work. And so I think... It's probably good that I know that. I think, and, yeah. And I'm, it's not like I'm negative about it. I just, I think I'm just being a bit realistic about it. I think that's great. I feel positive about it. I'm excited. I, you know, I yeah. feel good. But I'm also just aware that there's a high chance, more chance of it not working than working. So it may very well be, though, that on Monday all your children are going to be conceived. I know that's fucking weird. How weird is that's that? That's so weird. It's so weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Poor old Mister Gabby. Oh, I'm like, I really hope we get some good eggs and some good sperms. I think you'll make some... some good embryos. I think you'll be. I think you'll be okay. Like, yeah. I'm... I mean, I can't guarantee it, but I think no, you'll be okay. I'm really nervous about it, but you know what can we do? We just got to do it. It's all good. Yeah, I'm excited. Should we get this jab over and done with then? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Oh my god. It's the final Fire Emma <laughs> Okay. Right. Um 
So right. we, I, I'm, I'm rather stupidly I'm wearing a dress. Okay. So I'm having to pull up. I don't think I did Emma one of these gussy ones. God, mate, what if I hurt you? Here. It's fine, you won't. We've got some frozen spinach. Yeah, frozen spinach. <laughs> That's the way we, to do it. We're going to hold it against I'm grabbing you. some fat. Okay. Okay, let's hold. Should we hold it for yeah. 30 seconds? Yeah, you hold it for yeah. a bit. So I'm holding a little syringe here. And I don't even know how to get the lid off. Do you squeeze it? Off, Can I just say that I haven't done this for a year and a half, mate? I trust you implicitly. What if I hurt you? You won't. Well, look, it's fine. It's an injection. Mm, I can't get it off. Oh no! What? What's happening here? Does it not just pull off? Maybe I'm not pulling hard enough. Oh. Yeah, there you go. <gasps> oh, it's so pointy. Okay, okay, right. Um, so I'm just gonna shove it in. Give me a sec. And push the thing down. Yeah, and then you have to go. You have to count to five. What, when, while I, after I push the thing once down? Once you've pushed it all the way in, we have to count to five. Oh God, look, look at your tender flesh. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> I don't want to blemish it. It's fine, it's fine. Okay. She's not lying about... Right, go for like oh here somewhere. Oh my God, just I'm really scared. So just I'm just going to shove it in. I'm... Oh my God. Is it going in? Yeah. One, two, three, four, five... Mate, oh, that was really good. I barely felt it. I'm basically a nurse now. <laughs> Do you need something to... It's not bleeding. No, it's fine. Look at it. It's absolutely fine. God, I made myself bleed all the time. <laughs> oh, did, I, did it all go in? Yeah. Mate, <laughs> thanks for that. That was scary. <laughs> I had to push really hard to make it go in. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, oh, well. Oh, I haven't got my sharp spin. That's oh, there's right, a really, really big helicopter up <laughs> outside can you hear it like buzzing <laughs> they've seen us shooting up they're trying to come and bust us <laughs> uh, okay uh, well well you're done that's your yeah. last one yeah before the trigger yeah Fuck. give us that don't stab anyone with it okay where's the lid there's a the lid all right thanks buddy that was uh, a real pleasure god i really feel like our relationship has taken a step <laughs> we really are very close now <laughs> <laughs> You looked oh. deep into the gusset of my tights and pulled, <laughs> pushed a pin into me. <laughs> I think that was much scarier for me than it was for you. Yeah, I think so, definitely. <laughs> I, that, I didn't want to have to ask you because it is scary doing it to someone, yeah. I think. Well, I've done it to myself loads of times. So oh, You nailed it. Yeah, well, if I have to have a C-section, you can do all the blood thinners for me. No probs. Just come over every night. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, on that exciting note, yeah, we're done. That's a wrap. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. And I say joining us, but actually Gabby's not here. Which is a shame. Yeah. I was looking forward to meeting her. Oh, she's she's the worst one. <laughs> she's trouble, huh? Yeah, she's absolute <laughs> trouble. But she is recovering from her egg collection at the moment, so um, hopefully she'll get better soon. Yeah, so I wish her well too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the way we start all our interviews at the moment on BFN is um, to ask people to tell us about their journey 
And you've got to say it like that. <laughs> I'm not good at accents. The journey. <laughs> See, mine yeah. doesn't sound very good. <laughs> oh, so, so tell me about your kind of experiences. So my journey. journey. Oh. So it started in 2014. I say it started in October 2014, but it did actually start before then because I got married at 39 and my first year of marriage was so wonderful that I decided we've got to have a baby. (laughs) And it was pretty much like that. (laughs) Because before that, I met my husband about 38, Mm -hmm. um, 37, 38. And I was at this stage where I thought I'm not going to be a mum because I'm too old. And due to my past, which I'll come on to a bit later, but due to my past, I felt my opportunity had gone. So that part of my life has was over. I was starting a new part of my life, a new journey, and I was entering it with my then boyfriend with the knowledge that it was just going to be the two of us when mm-hmm. we got married and we were going to have this wonderful life together. And that wasn't the case. So at 40... It was literally me saying, let's try. Because okay. I didn't want to hit menopause and feel like I hadn't tried. Yeah. So we thought, let's just do it. We ju- we didn't think of anything else other than trying naturally, but we spent the next three years trying. Mm-hmm. And at first it was easy to convince him because it meant a lot of sex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> so he was kind of up for that. <laughs> and But then it became this roller coaster, horrible journey yeah. that... I don't think people truly appreciate how difficult it is to try naturally. And we got to a place where we were arguing a lot. I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting pregnant because it's supposed to be easy. Yeah, you know, literally have sex, yeah. <laughs> get pregnant, mm-hmm. voila. And yeah, it wasn't that at all. Okay. And I found I was confused. I didn't understand why I couldn't get pregnant. And I have been pregnant before twice without even trying so to be in the situation where I really wanted to have a baby with this person this person really wanted to have it with me and we just nothing was happening Mm -hmm. was really really frustrating and really upsetting and month after month was just upset after upset he was then sitting there you know saying to me that I was using him like a piece of meat which then became horrible to hear because it's just something a reality you don't expect to face in your marriage you just feel like it's a mutual agreement you both want the same thing but it became very calculated and very regimented so the romance was gone I wasn't interested in having the nice part of sex it was yeah just let's just have sex you, you just get obsessive about it yes you? you get yeah. like you're like driven it's like your one thing <laughs> I'm ovulating let's get on with it uh, <laughs> and it literally was that yeah and it, and it was a side of me that I didn't expect to see either so it I suppose in a way surprised me that I was like that too mm-hmm. But it really became, you know, I certainly became, I don't know what to call her, you know, like fertility Godzilla type person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the alternative for Bridezilla. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like a, it's like a trying for baby Bridezilla, yeah. like babyzilla. Babyzilla. Yeah. That is a good time, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure he didn't recognise who I was either. Yeah. So I... In this obsession and in this confusion and this upsetness, upsetness of our mm-hmm. situation, I decided to go to the doctors and find out what I could do. It took a lot of persuading as well because they didn't see any urgency in it. They just want, you know, just keep trying, just go home and relax, oh. take a holiday, put your legs up in the air for half an hour afterwards. La la la. You know, you get all this un- advice. And I, I was probably around 42, 43 at the time. So it was like, but come on. Yeah. We don't have time here, Mark. <laughs> we don't have time for me to take a holiday. 
And it's not always that easy. You know, no. the, the people give you this vi- advice like you could just go and do it tomorrow yeah. when actually there's other things you've got to consider before you can go and just well, swan off. <laughs> when it's all you think about, and yeah. it is, it does yeah. become all you think about. And when people are going, just relax, you're like... <laughs> How? How can I? Yeah. yeah. Please, please give me some techniques because I've got nothing. <laughs> Do you know, I couldn't even give you one either. Yeah. Because it's true. You just, And the thing is, you get more frustrated the more you hear that as well. So then you can't relax. Yeah. Because you're just like. Arr! Yeah. So. Anyway. <laughs> So finally, I persuaded the doctor to send me for tests, which they did. So Mm -hmm. then I had a a year's worth of fertility investigation, which, again, was another weird, horrible journey. And it's not easy to have those tests because they're not simple tests. But you have a test, you see a consultant months later, who then sends you for another test months later. Mm -hmm. And then months later, you see the consultant again. So it takes literally a year to go through that cycle of testing anyway. And then I remember on October 2014, sitting in front of my fertility consultant, who just said to me, well, we can't find any reason why you can't get pregnant. You have what we called unexplained infertility, um, but keep trying. And it literally was, I'm going to sign you back over to your doctor. Just keep trying. That's so hard. It was, and it was, and I remember sitting there because he did say I could try IVF, but I'd have a 4% chance of conceiving. Through IVF? Yes. That's shit. <laughs> Which I didn't really like those odds. No. And also because I was 43, I'd have to pay for myself anyway. Uh-huh. So, and I just remember sitting there thinking, yeah, this is really crap. Knowing that I couldn't have it. Or, I mean, I suppose at that time I wasn't told I couldn't have it, but being faced with the reality that this probably isn't going to happen was just really tough. Yeah. And also with no explanation, no guidance, no, well, this is what we can do next. There was just no answers. It was just unexplained infertility. See you later. (laughs) I think unexplained infertility is, is the hardest diagnosis to get because you just, there's no closure. No. You know, there's nothing. You're just left with more questions. It's it's awful. Yeah. I remember being extremely confused because exactly that, there's no closure. So I didn't know what it meant for me. Mm-hmm. I knew in my heart it wouldn't happen. Yeah. I just remember sitting there thinking, this isn't going to happen for me. But there was, it was also hard to walk away from that because no one said it's not going to happen. Yeah. So they're still giving you this little bit of hope, uh-huh. but not giving you any direction in there. So it's not like they say, well, you've got, this if we remove it then it will happen yeah it was you've got nothing so you go away not actually knowing what to do other than to keep trying which you couldn't do I certainly couldn't do it I just couldn't it it, I just couldn't leave that office and continue as normal because that just wasn't a possibility anymore and I suppose that was where the next part of my journey started because Mm -hmm. it's, it's like as soon as I left that office I went home and cried I shut down. I didn't want to talk to my husband. I don't want to talk to anybody. And at that time, no one knew what was happening anyway. So you, okay. you were, I was already isolated. Then you're yeah. even more isolated because n- n- there's no one you can turn to to say, this is what's happened and this is where I am now. And then you don't have the words to explain it because I didn't, it made no sense to me. So I certainly wouldn't have been able to articulate this to anyone else. And I didn't know what it meant for me anyway. So what am I going to say? So you just grieve? It just, I instantly, instantly grieved. I remember going to my friend's house and 
her young daughter was, and at the time she just had one. So her first daughter was in a school, uh, in her play. And I went to see it, not thinking anything other than, oh, great, my goddaughter's in a play. And I remember sitting in the house with all the other mums and their young kids. And I thought, I just want to get out of here and cry. I just couldn't believe I was overwhelmed yeah. with the need to run and cry. And I watched the play and everything basically from that moment on was, I just want to cry. I just want to cry. Couldn't hear anyone tell me they were pregnant. I couldn't be on a train watching young families. Couldn't hold a baby couldn't be around them at all Mm because all I wanted to do was cry Mm -hmm. and it was so overwhelming I just I mean I just didn't believe it myself I couldn't believe how much I was so overwhelmed with that emotion and I didn't know it was grief because I didn't know it was grief (laughs) until somebody told me. Because you haven't lost anything yes it's you know it's funny with with this because you're you can't pinpoint a moment that you lost someone yeah you just you lose this this kind of spectre of what could be. Yeah. And it's as painful as losing another person. It, crazy. It's so crazy that it is that painful. And I think, as you said, because you haven't lost someone, I think naturally, you know, you've loved, you've married or whatever it is, and you've lost, everyone will know you're going to be sad about it. Yeah. No one would even question that. But yeah. the moment you're sitting there saying, I'm really sad that I'm not going to be a mum, people are like, well... And also what I found, and which I found very difficult to cope with, was the fact that because there's IVF, because there's adoption, because there are options, people didn't allow you to grieve either. Because it was, but you can try this, but why don't you do that? (laughs) So let's deal with that part of things. So you were told you've got a very, very slim chance of success with IVF. Mm. Um, Your other options are essentially to adopt. Mm -hmm. Um, Adoption is not for everyone. No. So... But you've got people saying, you know, oh, you, have you tried that? Um, what what were, you, were people's responses to you and what was your response to them? <laughs> I know what Both I wanted your to head say. And outside <laughs> yes. your head. Yeah, I'll leave the inside voice. <laughs> so I remember hearing all the miracle baby stories, all the opinions, all the suggestions. So I had... I had somebody tell me they knew someone who had the unexplained infertility and they have X amount of children now. I knew I heard the whole, oh, you know, oh, have you heard about Janet Jackson? There's still hope. God, what what drugs did she take? I I would love to know. (laughs) I remember saying, you know, that isn't her baby. (laughs) (laughs) My anger was really kicking in then. Yeah, I can imagine. I had the a lot of, you know, why don't you just do IVF? Have you thought about IVF? No, because I live in a bubble. <laughs> I had, I remember my best one, which the one that really got me was somebody actually, I remember them messaging me and it's not somebody that's even close to me. So I felt they were really crossing some boundaries anyway. But they messaged me in this very joyful, I could feel the joy and the upbeatness of of the message. But it was, you know, basically, oh, it's really great what you're doing, but it's sad to hear that you're in this situation. My advice to you is take a year off and just relax. (laughs) You know, there you go. Voila, it will work for you. And I just, I, 
I was so angry. I must say, every time I heard something, it, it did anger me anyway. Yeah. It, I found it really upsetting because it just felt like people weren't allowing me to be sad. Yeah. They weren't accepting I was sad. And they weren't even trying to understand that side of the grief. Uh-huh. All they wanted to do was fix it. And I understand when someone cares about you, they don't want to see you hurt. As well-meaning as it was, it was probably the most unhelpful thing somebody could have said. Um. And so what about um, the people around you? Because, like, I heard you on Woman's Hour. Guys, this, she went on Woman's Hour. Um, and you mentioned that you had two aunts who were childless. Yes. So did you get support from your family? Did you get less than support? <laughs> <laughs> Is this something you want to talk about? It's... It's... I had... Oh... It's such an interesting one. Mm. Um, And I don't want to sound critical in any way of what people did because I know people were coming from a place of love. Yeah. I think the thing to acknowledge and remember is that where the person is at is also prevents them from sometimes receiving it in the way that you want them to receive it. Yeah. So you might get a negative response from somebody yeah. but it's not about oh, I really hate you right now it's about actually I can't deal with it because of where I'm at so for me I mean my my parents were great they really tried to understand you know and as much as I probably did hear some things that I didn't want to hear and what I found unhelpful yeah they didn't know anything better to say so I took it all in the vein of look you know that's our daughter we don't want to see her get hurt and we want to comfort her we want to make it all okay so in that realm it was wonderful to have that support in other realms it it was difficult because some of the things I was getting back just didn't help and it kind of added to my grief because it's just things I didn't want to hear Mm -hmm. or didn't need to hear at that time so it's difficult as I said it's difficult because I don't want it to sound critical I want people to understand that actually it did come from love and I received it as that love, but it was just difficult because it wasn't what I needed at that time. Yeah, I think that's really beautifully put. Because, I, I yeah, I mean, obviously the people around you love you. Mm. It's like, there's, it's obvious. And mm. they want you to be happy. They want more than anything for you to be mm. happy. But sometimes they don't respond how you need them to, yeah. as you say. And I think it can be as simple as just giving someone a hug. Yeah. And saying, I'm really sorry that you're going through that. If you need anything from me, let me know. Or ask him, what do you want from me? Because mm-hmm. you don't always have to offer advice. In fact, you don't have to offer any at all. Because especially if it's a place where you've never been, mm-hmm. you might not really say the right thing or you might not get it. And that's fine. I don't mind you not understanding. What I mind is when you try and fix it for me. Yeah. And that's that's makes it kind of really difficult to be there and be around people as well when they're constantly trying to fix it. The thing about people who have kids is that they think they're really great at having kids. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're good at the practical side. Yes. We're good at the theoretical side, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I found it quite interesting. Like, I was reading your blog, which mm. if anybody out there has not read it, go and check it out. Um, you can just Google Yvonne John. I think. You can. Or yeah. Dreaming of a Life Unlived. Yeah. Sorry, my blog is Finding My Plan B. Okay, cool. Um... And we'll put a link to that as well. Um, you found out recently that you have adenomyosis. Um, and you said that it could, you know, that 
could have been one of the causes of your infertility. Yeah. How, I mean, how does that feel? That must be insanely frustrating. It was a kick in the gut. Mm -hmm. So I have a very long history of very painful and heavy periods. And I spent many times in a doctor's room pretty much begging them to sort it out. And I've had things like, maybe it's your age, maybe it's this, <laughs> you know, nothing yeah. helpful. I mean, in fact, the person who said maybe your age, I did want to kick him in the gut. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not that old. And I would have been in my mid 30s, I think, at the time. Oh. And I suffered for years. Now, I did know I had fibroids. So okay. I, I'd known since my 20s, and I'm 48 now. So in my 20s, I heard that I had fibroids, but Mm -hmm. they'd never been presented in a way that this could be a problem for you or this could be the reason why you have painful periods, for example. So I when I was going through my fertility investigations, they kind of made more of a big deal out of it Mm -hmm. because it was a maybe you you have an issue with getting pregnant because of a fibroids. Mm -hmm. But then when they looked at where it was positioned because they were looking at removing it they said no it's in a position that's difficult to get to it's probably not causing you any problems anyway you should be fine so it was very dismissive as well yeah then more recently I again I because I get anemic a lot with my periods I had one helpful doctor who was like no we need to figure out what's going on oh god so then sent me for investigation so then I faced a consultant And strangely enough, a woman of colour consultant, female consultant, all the before it was either white men, white females that really weren't seeing any reasons to kind of look into this. So then I'm in front of this female consultant who said, you know what, it might not be fibroids. Sometimes they get mistaken. Let's do an MRI. Let's look at this a bit further so we can see what's really going on. So I had my MRI and found out I had the adenomyosis. And then looking more into that, and I remember sitting in front of my GP as well, and I asked, could this be why I had problems getting pregnant? And she said, yeah, it probably was the reason. Okay. And that, it really, it really felt, it was gut-wrenching to hear that. Now, I don't know if I knew this five years ago, if it would have made a difference, but I think for me, knowing it five years ago and... I suppose dealing with it appropriately would have been very different to being where I am now and being told that knowing that actually maybe I could have had a bit more hope before when knowing this because there could have been other interventions there could have been something else they would have done now with the adenomyosis, the only cure actually is a hysterectomy so which is another thing now I'm going through and working on because again, it's, it's something very, it's very difficult to be faced with that diagnosis. And then, yeah. then it's like, well, here you go. Here's your, di- here's, here's the solution. And it's not a, a solution that's easily taken. No. But I really am sad about it because it just then added another layer to my grief where I felt if I was given different, if I'd known this before, I probably would have been given different options and could have worked through this differently than just being told to try naturally when actually naturally wasn't going to work for me Mm. anyway. It's so difficult. Mm. And do you know what I find really interesting is in, well, in this country, I don't know, in the world, um, we are not good at talking about periods. And and 
unusual periods. So I like I know so many people who have these incredibly painful periods mm. and they're just like, well, you know, the doctor said just put up with it. It's so interesting because I'm hearing that as well now. And because I'm talking a lot more about the whole infertility or my my infertility journey mm-hmm. and dealing with the grief, and I'm doing a lot of work now with women of colour, yeah. I'm really hearing these stories from women of colour. I don't think there's one woman of colour that I've met that hasn't told me they have fibroids. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I, I actually wanted to talk about that because, um, again, on Women's Hour, you mentioned that women of colour tend to find it harder to discuss infertility. Yes. Now, why is that? And also, like, you know, how are we going to change that? Oh, How can that be changed? So it's something... Now, I'm talking from my own experience and things that I've been learning, but also I'm on another journey mm-hmm. as well because I'm redefining the Women of Colour workshops. Okay to cater more for white for black women and women of color now the reason behind that is because jodie day who runs gateway women she asked me why aren't black women talking to me yvonne and i was like what are you talking about (laughs) and it made initially it made no sense to me that she was asking that question but then when we got more into the conversation because for me i'm like well we we're all grieving what difference does it make yeah to the colour of my skin, to how I grieve. And then when I thought about it, and I started to remember my own experiences as a child growing up, so I'm first generation British to Caribbean parents, and remembering the stories, and I did go back and explore a bit with my parents as well, but remembering the stories, it's just remembering the stories they told us as growing up and then talking to them more as an adult now about things and and what I remember, it didn't surprise me to realise, yeah, this is why we don't want to talk to white people about certain things. So my parents coming over, I remember my dad telling me the stories of, so they're the the Windrush generation. So my dad told me the stories of no dogs, no Irish, no blacks. So... You come over to this country thinking people, and it's the mother country, it's supposed to be where all the gold and the wealth is, and you come over and no one wants you here. But hang on, you asked us to come here, yeah, we don't really want you here, you know. So then they're trying to make a life for themselves. Every step of the way there's an obstacle, there's a no, there's a wall. You know, my dad saying he wanted to buy his house, his first house in a certain part of London. And the estate agent was like, no, you buy it in this part of London. Because this is where the black people live, not in this nice part of London. Okay. You know, and my dad fought and fought and fought and fought to, to make sure he was getting what he felt he deserved. He... You know, him and my mum got married and they they made sure that they put all these things in place so that we could have the best in life and have the best opportunities because we deserved that, you know. But as I said, everything was saying, no, we we weren't allowed to have it. So in that, there's a protection. So, you know, black, white people are going to see us as second class, no good, you know, below, whatever we're below. Yeah. So, and these people come here and they've got pride. No, I know my parents have so much pride. So they're going to protect that as well. So it's 
don't show your weakness. Don't talk about your problems outside of the family. Don't do this, you know, don't bring shame on the family. Mm-hmm. So it was always about having this sense of pride and keeping that sense of pride. So they're going to look at us, we're black, we're going to be nothing anyway. So show them different. Okay. So when you've got all, so it's a big thing to carry. And especially now we're first generation British going to school. Yeah. We're around a load of white people. So you're basically representing a culture. Yeah. And and also we didn't know how to do that. So we're trying to fit in. Yeah. But be different. Yeah. And that's in itself really hard. So you come home, you're in one way and you go to school in another way. Mm-hmm. You you know, people don't understand you because you have cultural things that you're carrying. So you're trying to put them aside because you don't want it to be seen as different. There's so many things going on. But within all of that, as I said, for me, what I took away from what I learned from my parents is there's there's this protection. There's this let's hide it all and keep it all in and keep our secrets in our bottom drawer because no one should know about it. And even talking to your own relatives, you you know, keep it hidden. So don't talk about it outside the family. So, you know, you carry this on. And something I've been learning more recently is about generational trauma and cultural stigmatism. So with generational trauma, it's about way back from the slave trade. So when you look at the fact that men and women were seen exactly the same, we had the same responsibilities, we could do the same thing, we all worked in the field together alike, you know, there was no separation between us from that point of view. We carry, as women, we are carrying this on, I kind of can't I'm just trying to struggle with the term that I want to use now we're just carrying this weight on our shoulders that we're not conscious of it's all unconscious because from generation to generation to generation we've always had this element of having to be strong for the family where we can be we can do it we're, we're strong black women and then you start adding the cultural stigmatism onto it so we're we are strong we're seen as aggressive we're seen as angry we're seen as sassy, we can do it, we can accomplish it. When you hold all of that into place and then you put us into this white society that are actually giving us all these stigmatisms, all these labels, it's then really hard for us to show this vulnerability. And it's really hard for us to go, well, actually, we're crying inside too. Now, I listened to this great show. Um, It was a piece couple of weeks ago on BBC Radio 4 called Black Girls Don't Cry and it really expressed it really nicely and the whole element of we're we're holding on to all of this from generations to generations from the slave trade from how we were told to not talk to hide it in not to dream not to hope the things we held on to that we're still holding on to and that we don't even realize it and then we've got our society that we're living in that are saying to us, you're this, you're this, you're this. How do we show them that we're crying inside? So hard. It is very difficult, very difficult. So then we're coming, and I remember it's something, it's something that a lot of black women are contacting me now, and even Asian women are contacting me because they, they're not, they're going to gateway women and they're seeing white faces. They're yeah. not seeing anyone that looks like them. So how, for them, how am I going to get help by people who don't understand me? How am I getting help from people who think I don't need it? 
And and this is why I'm so glad you agreed to come on. You know, I've I've worried about it massively because as you say, like it's just white faces and mm. it's great to have somebody who's like a figurehead. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's I mean it's an honor. I always get surprised when people say things like this to me like well, you're a figurehead, you're the leading voice in the black community and I'm like, "Really?" But yeah, you know, there's not there are, I mean, I know women who are there talking. But there are not many of us out there talking and there are not many, many of us out there having the platform that I'm having, which is such an honour. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things I get so conscious. I'm like, I hope I, hope I can do this justice because I certainly don't want to misrepresent anyone. I certainly am not here to criticise anyone. I just want people to hear and have some a level of understanding to what's going on. And there are so many different levels to this Yeah. that... You know, you know. Sometimes I don't even think I'm scratching the surface because there are there's so many different levels. And when I get women coming to me saying, you know, they've gone to an event, and I'm, I remember there was one not too long ago that Jodie Day was talking at, and I actually was there, mm-hmm. but I think I was probably in a corner. So this lady had contacted me the day after and said that she'd gone to that event. She looked through the window and all she saw was white women there and she just turned away and and walked and went home. And given that it took a lot for her to get there in the first place, you know, people are not contacting Gateway for no reason. They're They're grieving. They want help. They want support. So it takes a lot for someone to get out of their house, go to an event, and then they look in the window and think, none of them look like me. Yeah. So I'm going home. That's tough. And that really saddened me to hear that as well. Absolutely. And, you know, and talking to Jodie about it, she's sad to hear that as well, because for her, Gateway Women is for everyone. But the fact that not everyone is coming forward and not everyone wanting the support from Gateway Women that it was meant to be is another thing that she wants to explore. And hence why I'm now looking at redesigning the Reignite Women of colour workshops so that they can be catered specifically for women of colour. And we should explain that's a workshop that you ran in April last year? Yes. And and it's specifically aimed at women of colour. That's right, yeah. yeah. So uh, what is your advice to women of colour who are in your position or who, who do feel like they need to talk out or want to talk out but also feel like they can't? I mean, for any woman, I would say get the support because you can't do this on your own. It's really important. And I know Gateway... I'll always say this saved my sanity because being around women who instantly understood what I was going through, instantly got it, didn't judge me, didn't try and fix it, made such a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'm there now, you know, I can be found via Gateway Women, I can be found via my blog and via Facebook of Dreaming of a Life and Lived reach out to me as well um I know I've spoken to women recently who couldn't talk to anyone else and because they're women of color mm-hmm. had reached out to me and we'd spoken we had a conversation and they were they were literally saying you know I have never said this to anyone before and to be able to talk we have to talk we have to let go we have to release so I know how important it is and I certainly know that from my own self but hearing these women's feedback and knowing how much it helps them to talk I would just say get in contact okay you know because you as I said you can't do it on your own and it's so isolating being there on your own and you feel like you're going crazy because the thoughts in your head cannot be from a sane person and they are normal. Yeah. I, I just say right now, everything you are thinking in your head 
no matter what you think it is, is normal. And I think it's really important to just be amongst other women. And as I said, I'm here to talk that through and to get some, in a way, perspective on it, to know that actually it's okay and there's there is support and help out there for you. And it's so important to find somebody that you feel you can speak to as well. Yeah. Um. So talking of people we feel we can speak to, you've written a book about childlessness. I have. Which is called Dreaming of a Life Unlived. Mm-hmm. Um, and you found, you spoke to a lot of different women about... I did, about yeah. Childlessness and coming to terms with childlessness. Um, what was the kind of inspiration for that, and what what did you learn from doing that? So my inspiration was the fact that we weren't being listened to. I remember doing the Plan B mentorship program with JD in two thousand and fifteen. So I finished in two thousand and sixteen, and listening to all the women and listening to their stories, one of the things that I realised is nobody was listening and no one was hearing. Because we, everyone we spoke to just wanted to fix us. And that's if women spoke in the first place. And I remember sitting there thinking, damn it, I want people to hear what we have to say. I really wanted people to hear our stories. And that's where it all, that's where it was conceived. That's okay. where the idea was conceived. It was amongst those women and it was wanting us all to have our voices back. Okay. And what was your kind of... I don't know how to say this in a less lame way. Key takeaway. It was knowing that we were all the same. We were going through the same thing, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And that was an important thing to see as well. Because, as I said, it's it can be very isolating. Being on your own, thinking that you're going crazy, thinking that, I don't deserve to grieve, I shouldn't grieve, whatever whatever is coming up for you. But until somebody says to you, no, it's normal and it's okay, mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're normal and you're okay. So it was hearing the fact that we all had different experiences, but common experiences. Yeah. And we were all in the same place for different reasons, but we were all there together. Yeah. I don't know, that kind of, I'm like listening to this coming out and I think it sounds a bit crazy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, the thing, but that is the thing about infertility is, you know, it's it's incredibly isolating and then you meet somebody who's been through it and you're like, oh, you hate Meghan Markle for getting pregnant straight away as well. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess my last question is a little bit miserable, but when it comes to kind of coming to terms with childlessness, mm-hmm. um, how are you doing in that and what is your advice for other people who are thinking that's that's what they're gonna have to do so I'm in a really good place and it's been uh, I mean I started my journey in 2014 Mm -hmm. I finished plan b in 2016 it's now 2019 so I'm in a really really strong place when it comes to dealing with my childlessness it, and I find it strange because I'm on platforms as well where I'm talking to women who are still hopeful. Yeah. And I've, I've even had women say to me, I better get on with it because I don't want to be like you. Oh, cheers, Which is like, great, <laughs> what, what? Actually, I'm okay. <laughs> and I think one of the things that, especially women who are early on in their journey, worry that they're going to become these bitter, twisted old ladies. And trust me, they're not true. This is not true. If you ever saw me... <laughs> 
or knew me. I'm not bitter. You don't come across Sometimes I'm a little bit twisted, but that's my sense of humour. <laughs> and I'm certainly not going to turn into an old hag. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. The important thing for me was dealing with the reasons that led to my grief anyway. My grief will not end. I know it will always be there with me. And actually, that's a nice part of it because I knew because of that, I loved my children. I did everything I could for them. You know, I had two terminations in my 20s. That was one of the things I had to come to terms with and forgive myself for. So part of my grief work, and Jodie has a great chapter about grief work in her book, Living the Life Unexpected. And it is important to do your grief work, is that I wrote a letter to my unborn child. And in a way, I acknowledged her. She, her name was Regina. She would have been named after my dad, Reginald. And the, one of the things I think people don't get is that we visualise what our children were going to look like. You know, you, you go through so much, you put so much energy into trying, you do know what they're going to look like. You've got your names, you know what school they're going to go to. I can't, I don't, I didn't think I had a career for her at all, but you know, <laughs> it could have gone that far. <laughs> your, your head goes to those places. Though, but it, it does. She gonna it, <laughs> she's going to marry Harry. Oh, it's too late for that now. Fucking <laughs> 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 But, you know, we have these hopes and dreams. And then all of a sudden, in a way, that bubbles burst. And it is, you know, that being is not going to come to life. But we still have the memory in our hearts. And we still need to be able to hold on to that without it being the most painful, debilitating emotion that we'll ever experience. So, as I said, doing my grief work, writing a letter to my unborn child, learning to forgive myself was a big part of this. And writing the book, owning my story, was another huge part of this. I remember, especially with the terminations, I felt like there was so much shame around it. Mm -hmm. People will say to me, well, you didn't deserve to be a mum because you've had terminations. You know, and I was saying that to myself. So why wouldn't anyone else say that to me? And I was scared, really, really scared of that, that it, it, I was frozen in that terror and therefore I couldn't tell people what I was going through yeah. because I thought I'd get this judgment. So being able to move through that, owning my story, really empowered me to then be on this platform and take this journey of telling my story, representing other women, telling other women's stories. I mean, they're trusting me with that as well. And I think that's such a huge honour as well to be trusted with all those stories. Yeah. And it's like almost I'm the biggest babysitter in the world because they've given me their babies to look after. And that's such a beautiful thing. And to be able to sit here, tell my story, to hear other women's story, to have women talk to me and say, you could be telling my story. Thank you for saying that. I know not every woman is going to be on the platform that I am. And that's okay. But for a woman to be able to say, I don't have children out loud. I'm not a mum out loud. I've had a termination too out loud is huge for them. And to be able to give them those voices back too. Yeah. You know, if you could see my face right now, you know, <laughs> I'd be like just beaming and starry eyed and all sorts at the same time. It, I, I would never, I remember the beginning of all of this when I contacted, when I found the courage to contact Jodie and I sat in that room for the first time amongst women and I felt so ashamed that I had had terminations and that I didn't deserve to be there uh-huh. to where I am now. 
it's crazy, you know, it is crazy. Sometimes I pinch myself that, you know, even being on Radio 4, I pinch myself. It's like, oh my God, that was me. I mean, that is insane. <laughs> I mean, crazy, <laughs> crazy. And, you know, being part of Fertility Fest, having the BBC contact me again to do more work with them, having people in America contacting me now, come on, we want to talk to you some more. We want to get you over here to do workshops. It's such an amazing journey, you know, and it's, I know it's just, this is, I don't even know. I don't even feel like it's the middle. I feel like it's still the beginning of it, you know, and I just hope it doesn't end anytime soon because it's, it's such a joy and it's such an honor to be able to do this. It's unbelievable. And it gives me a great platform to honor my babies as well. Honor the, the life that couldn't be for whatever, you know, there are reasons why they couldn't be, but I can honor that as well and give that some love and justice into, you know, why I'm here today. Well, everyone, thank you so much. It's been a real honour having you. Thank you. Now it's time for Ask the Expert. Hey, same expert, different name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so you had a little call with Prof Tim. I did. And you asked him about symptom spotting. I did. I asked him about symptom spotting post-transfer. And full disclosure, what I meant was early pregnancy symptoms. Yeah. But he took that to mean any sort of symptoms. Okay. Um, so we, we, he answered both of those questions, which oh, is actually cool. quite interesting in itself. Yeah, two for the price of one. Exactly. Um, and I think that was probably one from you, the question. Yeah, could have been. Haven't <laughs> could have been, been a question I came up with while I was symptom spotting. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I mean, like we all go, oh, oh yeah, I'm just going to be so chilled during my two week wait. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to take my mind off it. I'm probably going to go flower arranging. Yeah. Yeah. But you just end up on Google. Yeah. Toe hurts, pregnancy symptom. Yeah. Hair itches, pregnancy symptom. Yeah, it's a it's, good one. <laughs> Did you have any pregnancy symptoms? Um, I don't, I don't want to say because, I, do you know what, actually, I had all the usual ones. So when you have progesterone, you're going to get hurty boobs. That's mm. what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you're probably going to get well bloated. Yeah. Um, but what happened was the day I took my pregnancy test, I was suddenly ravenously hungry, constantly. Mm. Just like, and, and that has been a feature. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it was my brain being like, oh, now you can accept these things. Mm. Whereas before I was just... Like, I thought I was hungry. Yeah. I don't know. And you put everything down to the drugs. Yeah, I well, I and I still would. Like, I always yeah. would put everything down to the drugs yeah. because I think if that. you try thinking, oh, it's because I'm pregnant, then you're that way madness lies. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, we asked Professor Tim anyway, and here is what he had to say. Yeah, so after a number of transfer, most of which are fairly uncomplicated, um, really, really, there shouldn't be any symptoms, um, I suppose, for some women, obviously, having a speculum inserted may make them a bit sore because the procedure is a bit like having a, um, a smear test. But most of the symptoms that women will have around that time probably will be because they've started the progesterone drugs recently. Now, progesterone can give symptoms of um, bloating and sometimes um, some different bowel symptoms. If women around time of the embryo transfer are getting significant bloating and nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and particularly if they've had lots of eggs collected, then that can be a warning sign for 
things like um, OHSS or ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. But in general, the embryo transfer itself should normally be an uncomplicated and not causing a symptom sort of scenario. Um, and okay, and in, in terms of whether people are looking for early pregnancy symptoms after a transfer, again, is that mostly the drugs or is there something that people can be looking out for? In general, you know, it's, it's natural to look for early pregnancy type of symptoms, but um, honestly, just a few days after the transfer, there wouldn't be any symptoms that people would, would, would that, that would mean anything. Uh, sometimes there can be a bit of blood loss, and sometimes people will think, well, maybe that's they call it an implantation bleed. But there's no real evidence that that's a that that's a thing. Um, and in general, it's all masked by the by the, the hormones, by the progesterone pessaries or injections where progesterone is being taken uh, but also after a fresh IVF cycle the estrogen levels will still be pretty high and the ovaries will be collapsing back down after the egg collection and so there's a lot of other things that are going on uh, around that time. I mean it's fair to say that, um, that if, if an embryo is implanting then um, the, the, the HCG from the embryo the levels will start to rise um, from just a, a few days after the embryo transfer, but at a, at a very, very low level, I mean, at a, such a low level we wouldn't be able to measure it and interpret it. But that's why for some women with what we call late-onset OHSS, um, or ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, the symptoms often come around. They start around about seven days or so after the egg collection, i.e. usually a few days after the embryo transfer. And late-onset OHSS is happening because an embryo is implanting and that very, very low level of HCG is, is making the symptoms of OHSS worse. So it is possible to have some ill effects of an implanting embryo, but I'll say mainly around in women who are at risk of OHSS. In a woman who's not at risk of OHSS, um, you know, so towards the time when she's been asked, when she's due to have the, the, you know, the pregnancy test, then yes, she may start to notice some pregnancy-type symptoms at that time. But as I've just said, a lot of those symptoms are related to the progesterone, which you'll also be taking, so it can be difficult to work out which is which. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks, Professor Tim. Wow, that's the end of episode two. 2.2. 2.2, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget already. Don't forget the point. Sorry. 2.2. Or if you work where I work, it's 2 spot 2. 2 spot 2? Yeah. No. Yeah, they all talk like that. Who? Why? Who says spot? People who... I just think of spot the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Random reference. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, everybody have a lovely week. Yeah, it's been been a pleasure as always. Yeah, it's nice to be back as well. Exactly. Yeah, still still nice to be back. Yeah, it is. See you soon. Later. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.